We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Thank you for listening to Ten Questions. It's been a big week for me. I'm acting in a TV show which the contract says I'm not allowed to talk about. But what I will say is that I've had to shave for the role. Why did the person who invented shaving decide to leave the eyebrows? And why is it that when I shave, it makes me a solid 20% uglier? And if you've ever seen a photo of me, you'll appreciate it's 20% I can't afford to lose. And people are always too polite to say, Adam, you're 20% uglier. So instead, they give me the news cryptically. They say, oh, Adam, you shaved. Why did you shave? And I say, it's for a role. And they say, oh, I hope you're getting paid a lot. Today, my 10 questions guest is Yumi Steins. She's one of my favorites. I like her because she's wise and she's incisive. And she gets into trouble every now and then. She's one of the few anarchist TV broadcasters in this country, and you might know her from The Circle, Channel V, Max, The Agony Series, and the occasional appearance on A Current Affair. Question one, when were you most happy? Well, Adam, I think I've been happy, most happy for about the last 15 years. I think about, I don't know when exactly or how, but it's like I cracked the secret to happiness and it hasn't really stopped since then. So in the last 15 years, yeah, there have been ups and downs and there have been some terrible times and downers. But but I think if you imagine your your mood is like room temperature and you you kind of have your highs and you have your lows, but you mostly revert to room temperature, my room temperature is pretty happy. And sometimes my, my room temperature almost is like being high, like being... Super, wow. super happy, like crazy happy. That's great. How did you crack yeah. the secret? Well, I think I, I was a very depressive teenager, an early 20-year-old, and, um, you know, I had some bad things happen that really set me off. And, um, and I kind of realised, look, if I take responsibility for the things that happen to me and how I react to them, but also if I exercise and eat right and kind of, you know, mm-hmm. and consciously monitor my moods, then I'm mostly feeling really, really good most of the time. And the bad things, that, that you can kind of recover a bit more easily. And you do eat well. I know that for a fact. <laughs> Constantly eating well. <laughs> Yumi, question two, who would you like yep. to apologise to and why? There's a few people I'd like to apologise to, but one that's stuck in my mind, I don't know why, because it was, it was a pretty minor incident, but it was like grade four or five in primary school. And I, I used to be a a pretty dominating little personality in primary school <laughs> in spite of the fact that I was I was really baggy. I had no fashion sense and I was the only Asian in the whole school. <laughs> but anyway, there, there was this girl who was very a very sort of kind, a bit awkward girl um, called Lydia. And, um, and she never said a bad word about anyone. And she was from a very poor family. And I remember, um, you know, she always was clean and neat but never had new, new stuff. Mm. And one day she turned up to school and she was wearing this brand new corduroy sort of wine-coloured skirt and everyone, all the girls crowded around her and said, oh, you know, what a nice skirt, you look great. And she's really proud and she explained that her auntie had sewn it for her as a present and and I went over and I said, yeah, it looks really great, Lydia. And then I just had this sarcastic face and started rolling my eyes and I was like, 
you you don't even know fashion. Like everyone knows that you're the worst dressed person at school. Stop rolling your eyes. And I was like, all right, all right, I'll do it properly. Lydia, you look really good. And then my eyes would roll again, and everyone started to laugh because I was being <laughs> funny but mean. And I was like trying to shut myself down, but it kept going. And anyway, I'd really like to apologise to her for being a little mole, even though I didn't want to be a little mole. I think because I've got. I don't know, maybe because I've got kids sort of around that age and there's this incident. I'm always trying to explain, oh, yeah, stuff like that happened in my childhood and, you know, maybe they don't mean it like that. And I'm trying to see it from the bully's perspective or the the victim's perspective. And this one, just I just feel like hurting someone that way was really bad and I'm really sorry. You just couldn't bring yourself just to be (laughs) earnest, I think, maybe. Like it's like one of the great sins, isn't it? Totally, and you knew that then. That's good. <laughs> did did she cry? I don't know, but I know I I definitely took I tarnished her day. You know, yeah. I was a shit. The question three is: What is your greatest regret? Uh, well, I think when you regret something, it's usually because you haven't figured out what the lesson was that you're meant to learn from it. Mm. So I've got a few regrets. I don't know if I can nominate one as the greatest. One one regret is I think I drank too much as a teenager and as a twenty, you know, from twenty to thirty. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that that's a shame because I, I I could have been a better person and been better at everything if I weren't hungover for most of that decade. Um, I think um, another, you know, another regret that I do think about is when. I made a comment about a war hero in 2012. So it was like four years ago and it blew up into this national scandal and I was like on a current affair and the front page of the newspapers about it and it, it was really, it was a really scary time for me. A few regrets around that is um, towards the man in question who I, I, I'm always reluctant to name because I don't want his children to Google him and this be the story that is attached to his name, mm. you know, which is which is what it was for, for a few years. But, but for, for people who are listening who, who don't remember the story, um, my workmate brought in a newspaper clipping and said, look, I think this guy is the perfect man. And that was this incredibly handsome, massive unit um, mm. from the army. And he just... Um, being decorated with with the Victoria Cross for his heroic work overseas, and I was kind of like, yeah, that's not my type, and um, just made an offhand comment, and it and it turned into this huge thing, and as though I was a traitor to the country, and I disrespected this guy, and at the time I didn't understand what the fuck was happening. It was like this roller coaster was had taken me away, and I think my regret was that I didn't have enough um, lucidity of thought to sort of see. What, what was going on and, and defend myself and explain myself clearly. And it's something that still repercusses in my life today. You know, people still think that I'm this massive asshole. So something that I really didn't intend to, to come out saying in that way. So that's, that's regretful and it's regretful because, like, I, Adam, I don't know if I could sincerely say that I wouldn't make a similar mistake again because I did it so innocently. You know, I just wandered in there and, and didn't intend malice and it's just so easy to fuck up so it's sort of a regret in that there's no way I could say I promise not to say something that stupid again but but more I I wish I knew I had known then how to stick up for myself a bit better 
Yeah, right. You know, you made one small comment, which you you paid for with a tumult of abuse and hate and and death threats, if I remember rightly. People sort of, I think people, especially who don't work in media or the arts, say all that sort of stuff, that abuse, death threats, that, that comes with the territory. It actually doesn't. No. It doesn't come with the territory at all. I've, I've w- worked in media for more than 15 years and you can walk down the street and people do not try to fucking kill you, right, or mm. threaten your children. And that that actually doesn't happen. That's not part of the gig. So for that suddenly to be, be unleashed was really incredibly frightening and and um, I think it's it's hard to not shut up because that's what they that's what they want you to do they want you to sh- shut the fuck up it's the mob it's an ugly mob mm. yeah but I see it from the other point of view as well I see myself sometimes as holding the pitchfork and the torch and chasing down the victim <laughs> you know because it's so um, seductive to be that, that person and to be part of the mob. Wow. So it's sort of, you know, it's a great, it's a great schooling in, on many levels is to learn that sometimes if you're in that fury and you're a little high and, and elated, you know, because you smelt blood, maybe you need to take a step back, you know, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe you're part of the mob, you know. Um, question four is what will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? I had such a good question. I think if I search deep, the thing I really want to do um, to feel like I've I've had a satisfactory life is to foster children. Right. I've always wanted to do it, um, and I applied, and then I got pregnant, and I, I, they won't let you do it when when you've got children under two and a half, I think, or children under three. Right. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm a bit off doing that, but I've always I've got this house. Um, if you can picture it, Adam, it's not like a like an austere kind of um, what do they call minimalist magazine home. It's really warm, and there's always music, and there's always food cooking, and there's space, and I've got rules, and I've got um, you know adults converse with children, and it's just lovely. And I'd love to. I think there's room for a couple more, um, and I'd love to learn that lesson of a bit more um, selflessness. Mm. by helping other kids and uh, hopefully that's, this is something in my near future. That's fantastic. That's really good. So. Um, and uh, wait, wait, what, are the, what are the rules in your, in your house? Well, just like bedtime district, swearing, uh, respect for people, um, showing kindness, those kinds of, you know, the basic things mm. that children need, which are boundaries. And I think, I, I mean, I'm assuming that for a foster kid to come in, they need to kind of, have things spelt out explicitly for them because they're in a new environment and um, yeah. and to be shown that, you know, we're not full of shit. Yep. You know, and and the, the TV is not the parent and we're, we're actually quite interested in being the parents ourselves. And, and you mentioned before about adults talking to children. That's important. Mm. Yeah, of course. So we, I love to... I love to talk to the kids and, and listen to what the kids have got to say as well. And I think so many families... <laughs> So many families, the kids get told to shut up. Wow. And also the parents have nothing to say, you know. They're, they're watching television or they've got their yeah. phones buried their phones or something. Yeah, I, I love to have a dialogue going yeah. in the house all the time. That's good. That's really good. Well, I'll, I, mm. I'm going to see how that progresses. Then you'll have a very, yeah. have a very uh, full and boisterous house, I'd imagine. <laughs> it's already pretty full and boisterous. <laughs> <laughs> Who... Uh, Yumi, question five is who is the person who most influenced you and how? 
Well, I wish it was someone cooler, but I think it'd probably be my parents. You know, my dad, um, yeah, he, for his many flaws, he was somebody who didn't give a shit mm. about people's opinion of him. And I think that I picked that up very early on um, from him. And um, and I also learned some of the negative things, like um, the drinking too much bit probably came from him, but also, you know, um, that him dying young taught me a lot of lessons about, you know, having fun in the here and now. Mm. And now as I get older, I think I'm learning more from my mum. You know, she's just, um, she's just a, she's a funny old thing. She's a bit deaf. She's Japanese. Um, she's, she's, so she's hard to communicate with being both deaf and, and from, you know, English isn't her first language. Mm, yeah. Um, but she is just one of those people who's not interested in making an enemy. You know, some people collect enemies. She's <laughs> yeah. um, she she has no enemies. She doesn't. She's not interested in a grudge. She doesn't remember what nasty thing somebody once did. You know, she has no memory of that that sort of stuff. She's a real bridge builder. And, I, and the older I get, the more I used to find her embarrassing and and such a dag. And she was always trying to build, you know, Japan-Australia relations and hosting exchange students <laughs> and putting on little cultural nights and stuff. And the older I get, the more I see that people, both young and old, are very much drawn to that. You know, she's, they appreciate the bridge there that she's building, you know. They really, really like it, you know. And I, I think that's a, that's a great thing for me to see as I get older because she hasn't stopped She's 70-something and spry as anything, loves a Chardonnay, <laughs> loves she, people. Yeah, and she got it right. And she seems to have it right, yeah. I mean, it's sad she hasn't got a husband because my dad died, but, um, yeah, she's just a, jo- a very jolly person. What could you, have you, Did you ever think about, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but did you ever think about when you're going through that difficult period with, mm. the, um, with the abuse and everything, um, what, your dad, what advice your dad might have given you? Oh, Wow. My dad probably would have said, oh, just fuck him, Yumi, just fuck him. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and my mum was funny. She got a few, because um, her phone number was listed in the phone book. You know, who even has a phone book? But her <laughs> phone number was listed. So her having um, the same surname and same first initial as me, she got a few calls. Uh... And you know uh, you know what old people are like? They can be so funny. She didn't even tell me. She just kind of went, oh, yeah, so Siri people, Siri people didn't even sort of recount any of the the details or anything. And um, and eventually she sort of said, "Oh, you mean if they're talking about you, means they they're interested in you. That's a good thing." Yeah, yeah, I think she, she's definitely on the path to enlightenment. Your mum. <laughs> I can't do her accent, though. She, I can only do Chinese accents, but, and she's Japanese. So. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, question six is, when was the last time you cried and why? <sighs> Cry. Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually not much of a crier, um, but I've cried a couple of times this year. Uh, my ex-mother-in-law died, so my ex's mum, my kid's grandma, and... I cried at her funeral because she was an excellent woman and um, and her church was full of really fantastic people as well and I, I was really um, moved to see a life well lived. You know, it was really, I felt really honoured to be a witness to that. Um, but I cried actually, I cried um, two days ago. <laughs> yeah. I had a real cry, like a real down to your guts cry because my husband was going away for, for work um, for like a week or something, and um, and the day he was leaving, I was feeling a bit grey, 
and um, and unwell, and I thought I might be going into labour because I'm actually 36 weeks pregnant right now. Uh, that's pretty much full term. 37 weeks is officially you're ready to drop, right? So yeah. 36 weeks straight now, I thought, oh, God, what if I go into labour and my husband's away, he's going to miss the birth, and then I'll have to call my best friend. But my best friend at the moment is um, in the USA attending a wedding. And my mum is busy. She's got these 91-year-olds staying at her house to take care of, right? So my mum, my best friend, and my husband both can't come. So, you know, I could go to the second tier of friends to call, but I don't want the second fucking tier. I'm giving birth. I want my, you know, I want my first choices there, right? So then I picture myself going going to the birthing centre with my little wheelie suitcase oh. on my own and, like, the, the poor midwife looking at me going, you don't have a partner, you don't have a friend, you don't have a mother. I started to, to cry and cry and cry and cry at this picture of my, my pathetic self trying to give birth on my own. Look, you know what, I'm available. Um, you got my number. For your third tier, Adam. <laughs> you and me, I think, it's, uh, I think it's question seven. What is your current state of mind? My current state of mind is ripe. That is me right now. I am ripe, R-I-P-E, <laughs> right. I'm so fucking pregnant right now. I just, this is my fourth pregnancy. I am um, probably three weeks away from giving birth, and every woman who's ever had a baby will know that the bigger the baby gets in your belly, the bigger the baby is in your mind, and it starts to crowd everything else out. Wow. And you wake up every morning going, what day is it? It's Thursday. I've got... 20 days until I give birth and you just can't think of anything else but this deadline and the deadline is just so far away and getting there takes so long so that is my state of mind I'm just counting down minutes at the moment yeah yeah and will your is your partner going to get back in time do you think I think so I just he'll be back in in a few days but I just have this fear you know because once you've had a couple of babies, your body doesn't muck around. Mm. If they've come out the old-fashioned chute, they they it can they can just come out in a, in an hour or something, you know, on the floor of the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> so right. I just I would rather he be here to help me out. You know, we've got other kids to look after. <laughs> Question eight is: What do you consider your greatest achievement? Uh yeah, once I was on, um, I was doing a trial at a restaurant trying to get a, a part-time job, you know, to fill in uh, mm. for one of the chefs, and it was in the cold larder position, um, which is not a very sort of prestigious job in the kitchen. But I, but I was a chef, and I used to work as a chef, and I was at the time I already had a job as a radio announcer, but I wanted a second job. So they got me, they showed me through, you know, here's how you make the salads, here's how you scoop the ice cream. It was all pretty basic. And then we went into dinner service, and it was a pretty big night, made, made a few salads, made a few desserts. And in the end, I, I got the job. And I went home, and I was so happy. Like, I was so pleased with myself. You know, I felt mm. shiny from my heart radiating outwards, and my eyes were aglow, you know. And I was like, all right, you can calm down. You know, it's just a, a little job. You don't even need it. Um, why are you feeling so pleased with yourself? And I couldn't work it out. And it didn't go away for, for like, I don't know, 16 hours. It was like the best feeling of happiness and accomplishment that I've ever had and I think that I've ever had. And I think that the lesson for me in that is that it's not necessarily about doing the biggest, greatest, 
most heroic, ambitious thing. And sometimes it's just about doing a good job yeah. and being guilt-free and going to sleep peacefully. Yes. So but my greatest achievement, I mean, that's, that's my greatest sense of satisfaction in, in something, but my, my greatest achievement, I don't know, I hope it hasn't happened yet. I've spent mm. 15 years interviewing rock stars whose greatest achievements are behind them, you know. Yep. The classic example is D-Light. You know, I interviewed them a few years ago. They were touring Australia. Yeah. And 20 years ago, they had this song. Your chills, that you feel, <laughs> down the back. You know, oh, can I sing the answer to that? Of course, um, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, totally. Groove is in the heart. So that was their big thing. And 20 years later, that's still what they're talking about. Yeah. It must just be, and they know too. They know that that was... It'd be like if somebody said to you, Wilfred's that's that's your big moment. Yeah. And everything else is downhill from, from there. They do say um, that. <laughs> it was a funny great show. I loved it. Um we still say we still say Naughty Boy. Naughty Boy. <laughs> it's Naughty Roddy Car. <laughs> I love that one as well. Um, anyway, so hopefully my greatest achievement is yet to come. But I am I am heartened by that thing of like for some reason making food. I guess in a way is is similar to building a house. There is an infinite amount of satisfaction mm. to be found in that. Probably more than radio announcing, I'd imagine. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just putting it out there. Quite quite probably. I listened to your um, Dave um, O'Neill podcast. Oh, yes. And I, yeah, I loved what he said about how, you know, breakfast radio should have got out earlier and it's, it's mostly just shit. <laughs> but you don't know it when you're in it. Did you find that? Was it I, don't, I, I think I, I wasn't quite suited for it. Yeah, You've got yeah. to be a little bit more of a whore yeah. than I ever was. And I didn't, um, I didn't dig very deep to try and find my whore because I didn't want to. Yeah. I was like, no, no, I won't do that. I won't talk about that and I won't sell that. Yep. But, yeah, that, yeah I don't think that was me. Question nine is who would you want on your side in a battle and why? Did you see um, Taylor Swift at the VMAs? Yep. She had this whole girl squad with her. So... I've envisioned this whole squad for myself, which would be led by Beyonce, because she would be magnificent in battle. You can just picture her. She'd have a breastplate, a shield and a sword, and her hair would be blowing in the wind. She'd be totally. yeah. yeah. Um, so Beyonce, a musician MIA. Yep. Um, that Indian girl from England. Film director Ava DuVernay. I think she's Spears. Aboriginal playwright Nakia Louie. I love her. Politician Penny Wong, my mum, feminist writer Roxanne Gay, um, Sharon Jones, she's got cancer again, but she's so fierce and so cool. Token white girls would be Lena Dunham, Caitlin Moran, Marie Cardi. Yep. (laughs) All female female writers. Token male Benjamin Law, they're they're all coming into battle with me. And the final question is, uh, what would you like your last words to be? Yeah. Last words. So you mean deathbed kind of thing or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Well, there's this line from an Australian film. It's a pretty humorous film. Um, but anyway, there's two characters and they're having a conversation and then one, one stands up to leave and he pushes his chair back and he says, all right then, off I fuck. <laughs> That's oh, me. Off I fuck. That's brilliant. <laughs> We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Joir. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff, we have liftoff. 